It's time for Tuesday Terror, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. You shall be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. Uh. (sighs) Hello and welcome to Reimagined Radio, a program of radio storytelling. I'm John Barber, producer and host. Thanks for listening. With this episode of Reimagined Radio, we present Dracula, the legendary novel by Bram Stoker, first published in 1897. Stoker, an Irish writer and theater manager, was inspired by tales of Vlad the Impaler, or Dracula, born 1431. As a cruel warrior, Vlad impaled people on stakes and was reported to have once dined among his victims, eating bread dipped in their blood. This may have been the beginning of the Dracula vampire legend. In Stoker's story, Dracula, the vampire, infects society with evil abnormality, discord, and misfortune. We consider Dracula one of the greatest horror novels ever written. I hope you will enjoy a delightful shiver up your spine as you listen to our adaptation of Dracula, performed by Metropolitan Performing Arts. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dr. John Seward. I have here journal entries, telegrams, clippings from the press of the day, all written by the story's protagonists. Seemingly at variance with the possibilities of contemporary belief, these reports, written by those who witnessed the events, nonetheless stand forth as simple fact. I present you, first, with excerpts from the private journal of Mr. Jonathan Harker. I, Jonathan Harker, lawyer's clerk, employed by Peter Hawkins, Esquire, of Exeter, England, set out from London on the last day of April to visit one of our clients in Eastern Europe. On May the 3rd, I arrived in Budapest and came after nightfall to Klausenberg on the border of Transylvania. At Bistritz, there was a letter of welcome for me from our client, informing me that his carriage would await me at the Borgo Pass. It was signed, Dracula. Borgovania! Cox for Borgovania! The road into the Carpathian Mountains was rough, but still we seemed to fly over it with feverish haste. When it grew dark, there seemed to be some excitement among the passengers. They kept crossing themselves while speaking to the driver and looking at me, urging him on with a greater speed. Driver, what is it? Where are we? You're nearing your destination, young heir. This is the Borgo Park. clouds overhead, and in the air, the heavy, oppressive sense of thunder. Another coach is to meet me here. There's no coach. Perhaps the young heir isn't expected after all. Come with us now, quickly, to Bocavinia. It is the eve of St. George's Day. After midnight, all evil things in the world will have sway. 
Come back another day! At that moment, a light, open carriage came alongside us. It was pulled by four splendid, coal-black horses. The driver seemed to know I was to be his passenger, as he looked inside and said to me directly, You are early tonight. Let me help you, sir. The driver smiled, and the lamplight fell on a hard mouth with very red lips and sharp teeth as white as ivory. I descended from the coach into the carriage. The driver's hand caught my arm in a grip of steel. His strength must have been prodigious. He placed a cloak over my shoulders and another over my knees. Then, without a word, he shook the reins and we swept into the darkness of the pass. As I looked back, the coach with its load of passengers vanished from sight, and I was overcome with a feeling of aloneness. We continued into the darkness of the pass. I struck a match. I was within a few minutes of midnight. A wolf began to howl somewhere far down the road. The wind was rising, moaning and whistling through the rocks, and the branches of the trees crashed together as we swept along. It grew colder and colder still, and fine, powdery snow began to fall. The baying of wolves sounded nearer and nearer, as if they were closing round on us from every side. We kept on ascending, always ascending. The howling of wolves was growing less. Presently, it ceased altogether. And just then, the moon broke through the black clouds, and by its light, I saw around us a ring of wolves running alongside the carriage in silence, with white teeth and lolling red tongues, with long, sinewy limbs and shaggy hair. I had partaken too liberally of the slivervitz under my seat. The driver directed me to the flask, saying it would help ward off the cold night air as we travelled. The carriage was parked in the courtyard of a vast, ruined castle made of heavy-cut stone. The driver was nowhere to be seen. Welcome to my house. Come freely, go safely. And leave something of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula? I am Dracula. The face was strong, very strong, aquiline. The mouth, so far as I could see it under the heavy moustache, was fixed and rather cruel looking, with the peculiarly sharp white teeth. <laughs> You hear them, Mr. Harker? The wolves. Ah, yes. As you say, Mr. Harker, the wolves. I think of them as something more. The children of the night. What music they make. Listen. 
<laughs> Come now, you are no doubt tired than this to sleep. There are many things you must tell me tomorrow of England and of the estates there you have purchased for me. But now I will detain you no longer. You will find your room in readiness, and I advise you not to leave it during the night. After a few hours, it was apparent that I could not sleep. My mind was rehearsing again and again the details I knew I must share with Count Dracula about his real estate purchases. Thinking to begin a busy day, I got up, lit my candle, and placed my shaving mirror on the dressing table. I was just beginning to shave. You feel rested, Mr. Harker? I had not seen him, although the reflection of the mirror covered the whole room behind me. I turned to the mirror again. Count Dracula was close to me, and I could see him over my shoulder. But there was no reflection of him in the mirror. It was blank. I started and cut myself on the chin. The blood began oozing. The blood. The blood. Wipe the blood from your face, Mr. Harker. And take care how you cut yourself. It is more dangerous than you think in this country. And, and this is the wretched thing that has done the mischief. It is a foul bubble of man's vanity. Away with it! With that, Dracula threw the mirror into the corner where it shattered into a thousand pieces. Much later, I slept. When I awoke, it was morning. I found most of my things were gone. My passport, my notes, my letter of credit. I could find no trace of them anywhere. I left my room, seeking to find someone to help me. But the castle appeared to be empty. As I explored, I learned many disturbing things about Count Dracula's castle. This castle is on the very edge of a terrible precipice. A stone falling from the window would fall a thousand feet without touching anything. There are doors, doors, doors everywhere, all of them locked. The door to the great hall, the door to the courtyard, every door in the castle is closed, bolted against me. Castle Dracula is a prison, and I am a prisoner. June 20th. Several weeks have now passed. There is work of some kind going on in the castle. Now and then I hear the faraway muffled sound of mattock and spade. I fear it is some ruthless villainy. There is a growing and apparent sense of doom about the castle. I feel it around me, heavy, sodden, like rain waiting to fall. Last night I witnessed a particularly unsettling event. I can only now write about it in this journal, trying to make sense of what I have witnessed. Count Dracula and I have formed a habit of talking late at night. He is quite curious about England, and asks many questions about the customs, the people, and the ways of doing business. Last night, after we separated, I climbed to the top of the stone staircase at the end of the hallway. 
Looking out the window there, I noticed a movement below. A head emerged from a window, followed by hands I knew instantly to be those of Count Dracula. Repulsion and terror overtook me when I saw the whole man emerge from the window and begin to crawl down the castle wall over the dreadful abyss, face down, with his cloak spreading out around him like great wings. At first, I could not believe my eyes, and I thought this was some trick of the moonlight, some weird effect of the shadow. But I kept looking, and it could be no delusion. I saw the fingers and toes grasp the corners of the stones, worn clear of the mortar by the stress of years. By thus using every projection, Dracula moved downwards with considerable speed, just as a lizard moves along a wall. What manner of man is this? Or what manner of creature is it in the semblance of a man? I feel the dread of this horrible place overpowering me. I am in fear, an awful fear, and there is no escape for me. I am surrounded by terrors that I dare not think about. Dracula. Yes, my young friend. Well, what of me? When am I free? free? When can I leave this place? Free? Mr. Harker, you are always free. You want to leave? Would you like to leave tonight? Yes, yes, in God's name. My dear young friend, not an hour shall you wait in my house against your will. Come, follow me. Hmm. Your door seems to be bolted. How strange. In God's name, open it! As you will, Mr. Harker. You English have a proverb which is very close to my heart. Welcome to coming. Speed the parting guests. Good night, Mr. Harper. Shut the door! Shut the door! Shut the door! Shut the door! The door is shut, Mr. Harker. I take it you will remain. These may be the last words I ever write in this diary. God preserve my sanity. I have never seen Count Dracula by day. At sunrise he is gone. I, I don't understand these things. I only know that the wolves are baying and that he is a man with hair on the palms of his hands, with sharp teeth and no blood in his face. He casts no shadow. He cannot be seen in a mirror, and at night, I have watched him move like a bat across the sheer face of the castle walls. As I write this, I hear in the courtyard 
the rolling of heavy wheels and the cracking of whips. Then there is in the passageway below a pounding of heavy boxes being set down. Boxes shaped like coffins. And I know what they hold. The boxes are filled with holy earth from the chapel beneath the castle. The last box is being nailed down. The door is shut and the chains rattle. In the courtyard and down the rocky way, the roll of heavy wheels and the crack of whips. Help! 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 The wagons have gone. I am alone in the castle. I am alone in the castle. I am alone! Alone! But I may find a way from this dreadful place. If so, I will make for home. Away from this cursed place where the devil and his children still walk with earthly feet. This is Reimagined Radio. You are listening to Dracula, performed by Metropolitan Performing Arts. I'm John Barber. We'll continue with our story in just a moment. Community Radio Like This is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics, Clark County's local print shop since 1993. ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Put on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at adco1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. The Community Angels at National Women's Coalition Against Violence and Exploitation have been supporters of KXRW Community Radio since our inception. NWCAVE helps to inform and educate the prevention of violence against women and children. They have a dream, a world without violence. Learn more about how you can help at nwcave.org. Big thank you to Craft Cannabis, formerly known as New Vansterdam, for supporting our radio community. Craft Cannabis now has two locations here in Vancouver. Both locations offer online ordering and curbside pickup. The Mill Plain location has an express window that serves as a contactless option to pick up your cannabis products. The newest shop is located on Andreessen Road, off Padden Parkway, next to the Home Depot, across from Costco. Both locations are open daily, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. More information available at Craft Cannabis. The Community Angels at National Women's Coalition Against Violence and Exploitation have been supporters of KXRW Community Radio since our inception. NWCAVE helps to inform and educate the prevention of violence against women and children. They have a dream, a world without violence. Learn more about how you can help at nwcave.org. You are listening to Dracula, an episode of Reimagined Radio, as performed by Metropolitan Performing Arts of Vancouver, Washington. Previously, Jonathan Harker traveled to Transylvania in order to meet Dracula, for whom he had arranged to purchase several estates in the London area. After several weeks, Harker was left imprisoned in Dracula's castle as Dracula traveled to England. Our story shifts there for Dracula's arrival and chronicles how he began to realize his evil plans. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. John Seward again. 
I now present for your consideration a clipping from the Yorkshire Telegraph dated August of 1891. It reads, One of the greatest and sudden of storms on record was experienced here today. A little after midnight came a strange sound from over the sea. Then without warning, the tempest broke. And there, with all sails set, was a foreign schooner rushing with terrific speed toward the shore. At the moment she crashed, a huge dog sprang up on the deck from below and running forward, jumped from the bow onto the sand and making straight up the east cliff toward the graveyard, vanished into the night. The Coast Guard, going aboard at dawn, found a dead man fastened to the spoke of the wheel. Tightly clutched in one hand was a crucifix. In the pocket of the dead man's coat was found a bottle, carefully corked, containing a roll of paper. This proved to be an addendum to the ship's log. There was found on board only a small amount of cargo and that of a most unusual nature, common earth packed away in wooden boxes shaped much like coffins. The ship was the Demeter. The dead man found aboard was her captain. I present you the next portions of the captain's log. Log of the Demeter, Russian flag, Black Sea to Vetbe. July 6th, finished taking in strange cargo, boxes of earth. At noon, set sail, east wind, fresh crew, four hands, two mates, cook, and myself, captain. July 11, entered Bosporus. At dark, passed through Dardanelles. Mate reported in the morning that one crew, Vyoden, missing. Vyoden took Labud Vach eight bells last night. He was relieved by Talishian, but never came back to his bunk. There's something aboard this ship. <laughs> no, don't laugh, Captain. In the rain last night. Oh? A tall, thin man I saw go up the companion vein along the deck forward and disappear. When I go to the bow, no one, and the hatchways were all closed. July 22nd, rough weather, last three days. All hands busy with sails. No time to be frightened. Passage Gibraltar and out through the straits. All well. July 24th, last night, another hand was lost, disappeared. Like fire day. He came off his watch at midnight, and we never saw him again. You take your watch now. I don't take watch alone no more. Nor will I. No more. Double watch. Double watch. July 29. Had single watch tonight, as crew too tired to double. Then the morning come. Hey. Hey, Blocky below, Blocky, where are the guns? Blocky gone, like the others. Like all the others. The mate and I have agreed to go armed henceforth. July 30, last night, we are nearing England. Weather fine. All the sails set. Captain, Captain, the men on watch are missing, more missing. Now, only myself and mate 
and one hand left to work the sheep. August 3rd, two days of fog and not a sail sighted. At midnight, I went to relieve the man at the wheel and when I got there, I found no one was there. It's here, I know it now, I saw it like a man, taller in sin, ghastly pale. It was in the bows looking out. I gave it to my knife, but the knife went right through it, empty as the air. What are you talking about? It's here, and I'll find it. It's in the hold in one of those boxes of earth. I'll unscrew them one by one and see, and see. He is mad, stark, raving mad. It's no use trying to stop him. He can't hurt those big boxes, invoiced as common earth. He's there, there, down in the hole. I know the secret now. The sea will save me from him. It's all that's left. It's all that's left. August 4th. I'm alone on my ship. And still the fog. I dare not go below. I dare not leave the helm. So here all night I sit. And in the dimness of the night I saw it. I saw him. God forgive me. But the mate was right to jump overboard. It was better to die like a sailor in the blue water. But I am captain and I must not leave a ship. I have tied my hands to the wheel, for my strength begins to fail, and along with them, I shall tie, which it dare not touch, my crucifix. I'm growing weaker and weaker, and the night is coming on. God and the Blessed Virgin help a poor ignorant soul trying to do his duty. that the powerful storm, the mysterious ship, and the strange dog witnessed in Whitby were all part of Dracula's arrival in this country. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a telegram from myself to Dr. Abraham Van Helsing in Amsterdam. Van Helsing is my former mentor from medical school. The telegram reads, Lucy Westrenra, in alarming condition, cannot diagnose, come at once, Seward. A telegram, Van Helsing, Amsterdam to Seward. I am on my way to you. Please arrange for me to examine your patient immediately my arrival, Van Helsing. Van Helsing arrived at four the next afternoon. I took him at once to Lucy's house. We found Lucy sprawled on the floor and there was a draft in the room from a broken window. Her throat was bare, showing the two wounds looking horribly white and mangled. Oh, we are too late. My friend, we have failed. God's will be done. Sometime later, a paper was found among Lucy's belongings. I went to bed as usual, taking care that the window was closed. 
two in the morning, I awakened. I went to the door, called out, John, John. There was no answer. Something's broken the window. I'm in the room alone. I dare not go out. The house seems to be empty, the air full of specks, floating, circling in the draft from the window. The light burns blue and dim. What am I to do? Something very sweet and very bitter all around me, like I'm sinking into deep water, and they're singing in my ears. You shall be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. <sighs> this is Reimagined Radio. You are listening to Dracula, performed by Metropolitan Performing Arts. I'm John Barber. Our story continues after this short break. Community Radio Like This is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics. Clark County's local print shop since 1993, ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Put on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at adco1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. A big thank you to Vancouver's own Kagan's Theater for supporting our radio community. Our historic Kagan's Theater has a long tradition of showing movies for our community, 85 years. Kagan's currently features first-run big studio and art house films along with classic movie revival. Check out their live events, and you can even book the theater for a private party or public event. Go to Kagan'sTheater.com to see how you can rediscover the joy of going out for movie night again. Showtimes, booking information, and more at Kagan'sTheater.com. This is Reimagined Radio, and we are listening to Dracula, as performed by Metropolitan Performing Arts of Vancouver, Washington. Previously, Dracula relocated to London, England. He killed Lucy Westenra. Our story continues now as a small, brave band of individuals track down Dracula, hoping to prevent him from spreading his evil any further among the population. On the morning of July 11th, a man was found on the border of Transylvania. He talked wildly of wolves and boxes of earth and blood. He gave his name as Jonathan Harker. In a hospital at Klossenburg, he improved sufficiently to make possible his removal to Budapest. His fiancée, Miss Wilhelmina Mina Harker, traveled to his side where she debriefed him about his imprisonment in the castle of Count Dracula. Here is an entry from her journal. October 1st. At last, after months of silence, there is news of Jonathan. His letters were infrequent and disturbing from Dracula Castle then silence. But now this news. He was found wandering at the border, pale, feverish, and quite agitated about wolves. I traveled to Budapest and visited him with him daily in the hospital there. He proposed that we marry immediately. I was surprised that he could think of marriage in his state, but I agreed. We were married in the hospital chapel. Since returning to London, his health has improved, and he seems himself again. It is so good to have him home. 
Dr. Van Helsing contacted us both soon after our return. He knows of us, apparently through my letters exchanged with Lucy in her private journal. She was my friend from earliest youth. We shared many thoughts and dreams. Van Helsing wanted to meet Jonathan and I and to talk about her death. He gave us all the papers he collected from Lucy as well as his own and those of Dr. Seward. Jonathan and I have typed and arranged them in order so to make a complete record of all that is known about the situation. Tonight, Jonathan and I meet the doctors and we plan our action. My friends, you have read the report prepared by Miss Mina Harker and her husband, Jonathan. Together, they have coordinated all the facts and observations which we each have observed or collected. We can now agree on the following. There are such things as vampires. Had I known at first what I know now, dear Miss Lucy's life would have been spared for the many of us who love her. The vampire which is amongst us is himself so strong that he can direct all the elements, storm, the fog, the thunder. He can command all the meaner things, the moth, the bat, the owl, the fox, and the wolf. We must then begin our efforts to destroy him. We must find his place of hiding. And having found it, we must destroy his sanctuary. We must destroy this evil undead, my friends. It is a terrible task that we undertake. To fall here is not mere life or death. If we fall, we become as him, foul things of the night. What do you say? I answer for myself. I am committed. I too will commit to this cause and do everything in my power to assure its success. I am with you as well. My friends, our foe is formidable. The vampire flourishes on the blood of the living. Without this, he cannot live. He throws no shadow. He makes no reflection in a mirror. He can transform himself to a wolf, to a bat. He can come on moonlight rays as elemental dust. He can see in the dark. He can do all these things, yet he is not free. His power ceases at the coming of day. Then, until night, he must remain in the shape in which he finds himself and except in his coffin home in those earth boxes. He cannot rest. When we can confine him in his coffin, then, my friends, if we obey what we know, we will destroy him. My friends, we have tracked and verified all the shipping records from the Count's Castle in Transylvania to Whitby here in England. Came 50 boxes of earth. All of these, to our certain knowledge, were delivered at Carfax, the estate whose purchase by Dracula was aided by Jonathan Harker at much cost to his health and nerves. We must break each of these boxes and sterilize the earth with holy water so Dracula can no longer seek safety in them. And we must hurry. October 2nd, 5 a.m. Just returned from the empty house. Left Mina here at home. We counted the boxes, only 38 of them, and over each one, the professor went through his same mysterious work. I found Mina asleep when we got back. She looks paler than usual. October 2nd, soon after they left, I fell asleep. 
I remember hearing the sudden barking of the dogs, and then it was silent. I got up and looked out of the window. There was a thin streak of white mist moving across the grass along the wall of the house. The air in the room was heavy and dank and cold. The gaslight came only like a tiny red spark in the fog. Even with my eyes closed, I could see the spark through my eyelids. The mist grew thicker and thicker. Then as I looked, the spark divided and seemed to shine on me through the fog like two red eyes. You shall be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood, blood of my blood. <sighs> October 2nd, 8 p.m. We are on the track. Twelve boxes were delivered to an empty house at 337 Piccadilly. My friends, until the sun sets tonight, Dracula must remain whatever form he has. Now, we have this day to hunt out all his lairs and sterilize them. When he will have no place, he can move and hide. But we have only until sunset. The boxes are back here. Eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's a twelfth box somewhere. Gentlemen, it is after six. The sun is setting. We have no time to lose. He will return at any moment. Open the boxes. Quiet. Listen, something is coming. It is he! Your bullets, gentlemen! You think you baffle me with your pale faces all in a roll like sheep in a butcher's shop? You think you have left me without place to rest, but I have more. And time is on my side. The one you love is mine already. I have known. Already my mark is on her throat. The flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. She is with me always over land and sea. Dr. Van Helsing, gentlemen, I know my fate is a horrible one. I can feel myself changing, and I see the changes in the mirror. My face grows more thin, my eyes appear sunken, and my teeth, especially the incisors, the dog teeth, grow longer. Soon I will not be able to help you. In fact, I may even resist you as I become more aligned with our enemy. Until then, there is something I can do. You reported from your meeting with Dracula that he said, the one you love is already mine. She is with me always over land and sea. 
If I am really with him, then perhaps we can know his movements. Perhaps if Dr. Van Helsing will hypnotize me, I can use that connection to report Dracula's activities. From that, we may be able to determine his location and make our plans to meet him and seek justice. Oh, please, you must help me with this before it is too late. Dear Mina is correct. In a state of hypnosis, she can use her connection to Dracula to report what she sees and hears. We can use this information to locate him and lay our plans. But just as Mina will help us with the connection to Dracula, she can also help him with the connection to us. If he is made aware of what we are doing, he can use Mina to confuse and avoid us. He may also further harm this one we love. It is very dangerous, but we must proceed. With his hands, Van Helsing gestured in front of Miss Harker's face while speaking slowly, rhythmically. Mina's eyes closed briefly, but opened again. She stared straight ahead, her vision focused on some distant scene. Blood of my blood, flesh of my flesh, with me, with me always, over land and sea. Mina, how did you know that Dracula said those words? I don't know. The words just came. Strange. There are times when somehow I feel that I am with him. At sunset? Yes. Just as sun sets. And again at sunrise. Blood of my blood. Flesh of my flesh. Mina? Yes? Answer me, Mina. Are you with him? Yes. I am with him. Where are you? I do not know. It is all dark. What do you hear? The lapping of the water. I can hear it on the outside. You are on a ship? Yes. What else do you hear? There is a creaking of an anchor chain. The sound of sails flapping in the wind. Still. Oh, so still. It is like death. It is like death. From his questioning of Mina using hypnosis, Dr. Van Helsing determined that Dracula was aboard a sailing ship. There could only be one reason for this. He was returning to his castle in Transylvania. Van Helsing speculated that Dracula would travel by boat to the Black Sea and from there to his last sanctuary. We evaluated all reports of ships leaving London for the Black Sea. Our plans are made. The average sailing time from London to the Black Sea is three weeks. We can travel overland to the same place in three days. We shall be there waiting for him when he arrives. October 15th, arrived at the port town of Varna about five o'clock. Myself, Van Helsing, Seward and my brave Mina. 
She feels stronger. Van Helsing has told her that she must stay alive until we can destroy our enemy. Every morning before sunrise and just before sunset, she speaks to Van Helsing under hypnosis. Are you with him, Mina? Tell me, are you with him? I am with him. What can you see? Nothing. It's all dark. What can you hear? I can hear the waves lapping against the ship and the water rushing by. The wind is high. I can hear it in the shrouds and the water's foam. The Zarina Katrina is still at sea. Hastily to Varna. A telegram from Lloyd's in London to Harker. October 28th, Zarina Katrina in heavy fog reported entering Galatz Harbor at one o'clock today. Galatz! Galatz is 38 hours from here, and the first train for Galatz leaves at 6.30 tomorrow morning. October 29th, evening. En route to Galatz. We are due between 2 and 3 in the morning, but already at Bucharest, we are three hours late. What is happening? I feel something pass me like a cold wind. I can hear far off confused sounds as of men talking in strange tongues. Fierce, falling water and the howling of wolves. There's another sound, how queer a sound, like... Arrived in Galatz, saw the captain of the Tsarina Katrina, learned that a box for a party by the name of Dracula offloaded to another, smaller boat. October 30th. I have examined the map and found that most likely Dracula will travel up the river Sreth to Bistritza. From there, he can follow the road to his castle near Bogopass. You and I, Seward, will charter a steam launch and follow him up the river. Van Helsing and Mina will take a train to Veresti, and from there... From there, we shall follow the route Harker went to Bistritza and over to Borgo. If you have caught him before, we shall be meeting Dracula there. October 31st. By train and carriage, we arrived at Veresti at noon. It would be so easy to give in to my fatigue and sleep, but I must remain strong for Jonathan and the others. Van Helsing and I start in an hour toward Borgo Pass. Our enemy is still on the river. October 31st. We can earn good speed up the river at night. We hear that a big boat went up the river before us, going at more than usual speed. November 4th. All day driving in the carriage. The country gets wilder as we go. By morning, we should reach the Borgo Pass. November 4th. At last, some news. The box was loaded into a gypsy wagon and proceeds towards the Borgo. 
we have left the launch. We have got horses, and we follow on the track along the river. We are armed. Through the dawn, we could see gypsies some mile before us, dashing along the river with our wagon. On it, a great box. Late in the afternoon, we arrive at the Bogo Pass. The clouds descend. The air grows cold. Snow swirls and the wind making faces and shapes. He is coming. Van Helsing, look, look! We could see a long way all around from our hiding place among the rocks. Far off, beyond the white waste of snow, like a black ribbon crawling between us and the river, came a group of mounted gypsies riding along the road. In the midst of them was a wagon that swept from side to side. On the wagon was a great box. Look! We see two horses following fast, coming up from the south. It must be Sword and Hawker. The gypsies with the heavy wagon are losing their ground. Now they must not be more than a mile behind. Now the wagon is quite close. We can see the great box lying bravely. Now they are almost upon us. wagon smashed into a great rock buried in the snow. I lost its front wheel and turned over on its side, jammed against the stone. The horses tore loose from their traces and bolted. The gypsies scattered and vanished after them. Then, silence. Silence. That comes after. Ringing a bell. Stuart and I arrived just before the gypsies disappeared around the turning in the road ahead. No doubt they were scared away by the scene before us. It was Dracula, sprawled out stiff and twisted in the smear of his own unholy earth. The box, falling from the wagon, broke apart and emptied its contents onto the snow. His face was old. His skin was like paper. There is no time! Look at the sun! Sunset! In one minute it is sunset, and he is forever lost to us. Harker, place the stake of wood over Dracula's heart. Be not afraid. Do not look into his eyes. The hammer. Now, Harker, strike, strike, hard as you might, a blow to kill the undead. Flesh. Flesh of my flesh. Guilt of my guilt. Death of my death. Speak and be manifest in the instant of your master's peril. Elements of darkness, rain, evil wind, mist and mold and tempests. Strike! Claw! Wind, tooth, scale, tissue of flesh. Death of my death. Death and undead. The hand of the living is over your master. Console me, my children. This instant is no longer than the space between two heartbeats. But the night is not here, and I am lonely. Come to your master, my children. 
Beguile him now in this instant of his peril. Beguile him with the sounds of your names. Claw, winged, tooth, scale, tissue of flesh. Claw, wing, tooth, scale, tissue of flesh. Strike! Honker! Strike! There is one very dear to me who has not yet answered my love. There is less than a minute between me and the night. You must speak for me. You must speak with my heart. Give them to me. Jonathan, give them to me. Give me the stick of wood and the hammer. I shall never forget that moment. The look on poor Mina's face as she stood there. The angry scar standing out on her throat. Her eyes like living coals in the last red of the sunset. She tore the stake and the hammer from my hands with the strength of an animal. Mina, do you, do you know what you have done, woman? Do you know what you have done to us? You have released him. The evil is free. As I looked down at Dracula, I saw the sinking sun reflected in his eyes. The hate in them turned to triumph. Flesh of my flesh, come to me, my love. Come into the night and the darkness. You have served me well, my love, my bride, my love. I hit the stake again and again, driving it through his heart, through his body, and into the dirt. As I did so, I felt his infection leaving my body. My mind cleared. The wound at my throat closed and healed. He was gone from our lives. Above us, the dark clouds parted, providing a view of Dracula's castle. As we looked, there came a terrible convulsion of the earth, so that we seemed to rock to and fro and fell on our knees. At the same moment, with a roar which seemed to shake the very heavens, the whole castle and rock, even the hill on which it stood, seemed to rise into the air and scatter in fragments, while the mighty cloud of black and yellow smoke Volume on volume in rolling grandeur was shot upwards with inconceivable rapidity. Then down in a mighty ruin falling whence they rose came the fragments that had been tossed upwards in the cataclysm. From where we stood it seemed as though the one fierce volcano burst that satisfied the need of nature and that the castle and the structure of the hill had sunk again into the void, hiding the fact that vampires were ever there. You just listened to Dracula 
radio adaptation of the novel by Bram Stoker, performed by Metropolitan Performing Arts of Vancouver, Washington. You heard John Barber as Dr. John Seward, Greg Schilling as Jonathan Harker, Calvin Lourance as the coach driver and mate of the Demeter, Brett Allred as captain of the Demeter, Sebastian Hoskins as deckhand, Mark Martin as Professor Abraham Van Helsing, Ariana Dorenbosch as Lucy Westrenera, Kristen Heller as Wilhelmina Harker, and Ian Hanley as Dracula's driver and Dracula. This is a production of Reimagined Radio, a community partnership that produces and shares stories via radio broadcast, streaming, and on-demand listening. Thanks to Mark Rose of Fuse Audio Design, who contributed the sound design and audio post-production magic for this episode of Reimagined Radio. Regina Carroll Social Media Management and Photography coordinated our presence on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please follow us on these social media platforms. Holly Slocum of Holly Slocum Design created the promotional graphics for Reimagined Radio. A big thanks to listeners whose contributions support Reimagined Radio and other programs on community radio. If you would like to help, please visit your community radio station's website and engage with the donate button. Your contributions are much appreciated and may be tax deductible. For more information about Reimagined Radio and to subscribe to our snappy program guide, please visit our website www.reimaginedradio.net That's www.reimaginedradio All one word, no punctuation, .net This is John Barber, producer and host. Thank you so much for listening and please join us again for another episode of Reimagined Radio. This is Jack Ward, and from every one of us here at the Mutual Audio Network, we wish you, your family, and all your friends safe harbor during these difficult times. Please follow the scientific and medical experts' advice, and we'll always be here for you daily at Mutual.